Welcome to Wife on Earth, the book review podcast with me, Celia Jessen. On today's show... A man with no hair and a man who's just hair, the Kazoo Orchestra of Great Britain talk death threats, and a brass rubber regrets ever having been born. Now both armed robbery and murder have been legalised, we ask, will this have an effect on the prices at home base? And the touching tale of a childhood doll that came to life and achieved its ambition of being CEO of a limited company. Unless I'm getting confused and that was just a dream I had last night. Now, if you'll remember, our char, Mrs Coyle, is on holiday at the moment, which is why the credenza is in such a shocking state. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to dust it yesterday, but I got caught up in trying to work out which day the recycling men were coming this week. You see, they always come on a Tuesday, unless it's a bank holiday, in which case they come on a Wednesday for some reason. But, of course, this Tuesday was St George's Day, so I wasn't sure if they'd be coming on a Wednesday or a Thursday. Or a Monday. And it was midnight before I'd sorted it all out. Anyway, Mrs C is on a tour of all the major cities of Europe and Belgium. Fred put that joke in. It's from his big book of Brexit jokes with a foreword by that Weatherspoon's Martin man, you know, the one who looks like a farmhand who might turn nasty. Actually, I'm not going to be using Skype this time. Last time, if you remember, the connection was terrible and Mrs C kept fading in and out in the middle of telling me about her angina. So on this occasion, I'll be using a thing called Zoom, which apparently all the most up-to-the-minute trendsetters are using. So here we go. Mrs. Coyle's Capital Offences Oh, there we are. Is it working? Hello? Hello? Oh, hello, Mrs. C. Gosh, I can see you with unrivaled sharpness and clarity. I'm not altogether sure I like it. Is that a cake crumb on your upper lip? Oh, sorry. I was tucking into a mandel coop just now. Is that better? Marginally. So where are you this week, Mrs C? This week I am in Stockholm, which is the capital of Sweden, and I must say I'm enjoying it very much. In fact, I never want to leave. Gosh, Mrs C, it sounds like you might be suffering from Stockholm syndrome. Is that the thing where you go to Lally when confronted with a great work of art? That happened to my auntie. She fainted halfway through a production of Charlie's Aunt. No. Mrs C, that's Stendhal syndrome. Stockholm syndrome is where an abductee begins to sympathise with his or her kidnappers. All right. Well, Swedish can kidnap me any time. You'd hear no complaints from me. Everyone here is so polite and well-mannered. In the streets, oh, you could eat your dinner straight off them. What a revolting thought. So have you come across any Swedish chars, Mrs C? I have, as a matter of fact. I've befriended a cleaner about my age called Elsa. Do you know, the cleaning ladies here start work at the house at 5am and don't finish until 10 o'clock at night. Gosh, Mrs C, it sounds like the promised land. Mind you, they do get paid 20,000 krona a week, which is more than the Prime Minister makes. Crikey, Mrs C, well maybe you should move there. Aye. The only downside is you have to do all the cleaning in the nude, and if you don't clean the ring around the mask sufficiently, then you'll get the death penalty. Gosh. Aye, anyway, I better go. I met two fellas yesterday, Sven and Axel. They've promised to take me up to the stock back in Obelisk tonight. Crikey, well, good luck with that, Mrs C. Thank you. Goodbye. Mrs Coyle's Capital Offences
And now it's time for the book review section of our show. And first up, a review of Meet Mr. Rosewater by Kurt Vonnegut, reviewed by me, my husband Fred, and a boy in a bubble sent apart in Martin. Oh, I see what Martin's done there. He's in our bubble. Yes, it's a reference to a song by Paul Simon. The other choice was 21st Century Schizoid Man by King Crimson. Take your pick. Thank you. Do you know, it suddenly struck me just now how funny it is that I found myself with a podcast. I'm just Celia, an ordinary woman who has strong opinions on the difference between a casserole and cassolette, thinks the arches is getting a bit too racy, and knows how to get the drawstring back into a pair of swimming trunks with a safety pin. But I've somehow ended up here with my own podcast about books. Gosh, it all sounds so very modern, doesn't it? A podcast. Before you know it, I'll be wearing a beanie hat and eating sushi. I'm joking, of course. I'll never, ever do either of those things. Now, let's take a look at the work of Kurt Vonnegut. Am I saying that right? The famed science fiction writer. Unfortunately, I'm more of a Georgette Hare sort of person, and Fred is a strictly George MacDonald Fraser man, aren't you, Fred? Mm, yes, yes, I am. This Vonnegut, if that is indeed his real name, which personally I doubt, seems to be a purveyor of hippy-dippy nonsense about free love and such like, I'm sorry to say. The spell in the army is what people like him need. Actually, Fred, I think he was in the army. If memory serves, he was at the bombing at Dresden. I mean, the, the British army, the British army. American army is like a bloody holiday camp. They'll let anyone in. Anyway, since neither of us is really a fan, I thought we'd get the most artistic person we know to say a few words. So it's over to you, Centre Martin. The late Kurt Vonnegut is a great favourite of mine. I remember when Slaughterhouse-Five came out in 1969. It was very popular with those of us in the artistic counterculture. Evenings would be spent at a squat in Leeds with several of us, but very much worse for wear, I'm afraid, reading extracts from the novel aloud, naked, save for top hats. Ironically, that squat is now a branch of Planet Hollywood. Now, they always said Slaughterhouse-Five was unfilmable, so naturally they filmed it in 1972, with George Roy Hill directing. It was a flop, I'm afraid. Thank you, Martin. Gosh, that Kurt Vonnegut does sound very peculiar. Not really my sort of thing at all. You're listening to Wife on Earth. Are you too off now to do your duelling banjos? Because you need to head off into the conservatory, if so, I've not finished. Yes, we'll have, we'll have sandwiches uh, while Russell's doing his thought for the day. Good. I'll have cheese and onion. Splendid. Salad cream and sardines for me every time. Still to come, Russell Nigel's with his thought for the day, but right now it's on with my book reviews. Unhappily, Milton Library, where we previously broadcast from, is currently closed, and so I'm having to review books that are unwanted gifts or forgotten props under wonky table legs, lying about in the conservatory, attic or downstairs Johnson, as my husband Fred calls it. The other day I had a tidy and discovered 14 copies of The Moon's a Balloon by David Niven, all in various stages of disrepair and all lacking different pages, so I've combined them all to make one copy. Today I'm casting my critical eye on something which has been in the charity shop donations pile since last March, and that's Hobbies Weekly, 11th of August 1965, volume 140, number 3635, for those of you who happen to have the same one and would like to look at the pictures. Fear not if you don't have yours anymore, I will be describing the crucial images. This is a thin, unassuming publication, and the one colour cover stating for craftsmen of all ages, though to be honest I think it's impossible to imagine anyone under the age of 39 making any of these things, and even that's pushing it. The front cover flaunts a trug, 
For those of you who don't know what a trug is, it's a basket for garden produce, complete with decorative sides and a functioning handle. But it's the baronial hall motif in here which caught my eye. It made me think of Scandinavian counties. Mist, castles, Vikings, Abba, blonde men skiing and drinking aquavit on long, dark nights. The colour scheme here is white and red, which rather puts me in mind of those little Swedish woven heart baskets, Yulri Hedda, traditionally filled with sweets. How romantic, isn't it? I wonder if that handsome Prince Karl makes his wife a heart every year. I bet he does. I remember making a heart Yulri Hedda at sixth form, and it being a great source of, of drama and tension, unless I'm just imagining it. Yes, it must have been when we had Other Countries Week. OK, class! You can look this way. We've got a surprise for you today. Uh, Prince Karl of Sweden, who is in Toxborough to officially open the county's first IKEA, is here to teach us a traditional Swedish craft. Gosh. Hello to all your English teenagers. I am especially glad to see so many beautiful British ladies. Gosh. Today I shall be showing you how to make traditional Swedish yulajatta, a woven basket in the shape of a hat, which will then be filled with some of these sweeties I procured from the Woolies pickled mix. You may then hand your basket to the object of the earth exam. I'm going to give mine to Frank Jessen. Sherbet lemons are his favourite. He's a bit like a sherbet lemon, sharp and piquant on the outside and sweet on the inside. Now listen here, Johnny Foreigner. This is intended to be a technical drawing lesson. Oh, that's Frank's brother Fred. His favourite is humbugs. Reliable, dependable and exactly the same all the way through. <laughs> Calm down, my excitable English friend. There will be plenty of time for your technical drawing. Now, on with your weaving. Gosh, this weaving is going quickly. Ha <laughs> ha, Helen Thelwells looks more like a bum than a heart. Oh no, Frank's already finished his and he's filling it with cherry lips. They're Arabella Fotherington's favourite. But wait, Arabella's filling hers with foam shrimps. Frank doesn't like foam shrimps. They're exactly the kind of weak lily-livered confectionery that he despises. Oh, how confusing. Uh, excuse me. Oh, it's Fred, isn't it? It's Fred Jessen. Yes, I wondered if you'd accept my heart. But it's empty. Look closer. Oh, a licorice pipe with jelly spog on the end and a small handful of chocolate tools. Yes, that's right. I'm sorry, Fred, but I don't want your pipe and tools. Not even your spog. That's fine. I perfectly understand. Oh, dear. I hope I haven't hurt his feelings. Oh, hello, Frank. Celia, I... Oh, are these sherbet lemons? Yes, Frank, they're for you. And these cherry lips are for you. Gosh! They are like your lips. Small, red, plump, sweet to kiss. Are you making love to me? Yes. Yes. I suppose I am, rather. I rather like it. Please accept my heart. But there's nothing in it. Nothing in it? I don't understand. I, I said, said there's, there's nothing, nothing in, in it. it. I went to get an onion for an onion and cheese roll and the onion pot is empty. There's nothing in it. I'd best scoot down to the spa and get some. And suddenly I was back in the kitchen, limply gazing at a yellowing illustration of an optimistic baronial decor. And Fred was setting off with his bicycle clips on to make his ghastly repast complete. And I realise that the less I remember special occasions and moments of fancy, brief flirtations and ended encounters, the happier we'll all be. Thank you, Hobbies Weekly. Your job here is done. And I give this issue a generous three stars out of five.
We're now going to move on to our next book, which is a book that I just have lying around. It's my diary. Wednesday. Did a recce of the pantry and was shocked to see that we were low on everything apart from that plum jam from Fred's aunt that was a bit too tart. Thank heavens there's plenty of celery in the garden. Scurried off down to the best buy with the tea towel tied round my head, but it was slim pickings. There was a sign saying, thank you for panic buying from us. Saw Irene Clack approaching with her shopping trolley, so I quickly bought two tins of pork luncheon meat, a packet of glacier cherries, three packets of bootlaces and a copy of the Modern Angler magazine. Celery and tinned pork omelette for tea. Thursday. Went for a relaxing and romantic walk with my husband Fred up by the skateboard park. Saw Mrs Coyle meet Mrs Clack at the youth hostel car park. They got out of their cars and set off for a walk together. They were not two metres apart. Later Fred informed on them to the local police hotline using a funny voice. He said it was Welsh, it sounded more Cumbria to me. Celery soup for tea. Friday. Decided not to go outside today, it's not relaxing. Fred has attached a gardening glove to the end of a two-metre-long pole and is using it to wave at the neighbours as they talk to him. He looks like an institutionalised lion tamer sans lion. Suddenly remembered it was Good Friday and thought of popping down to St Barnabas's, but of course it's closed and the vicar's locked himself in the rectory with all the Harvest Festival tins and that ceremonial spear from his missionary days. Fred made three Good Friday jokes. Celery salad for tea. Saturday. Fred has decided to forsake the banjo and return to the ukulele. He's working on a riff by a band called Guns N' Roses. It consists of four notes and requires continual practice, apparently. Braised celery obliterated with jerky-jerky chicken sauce for tea. Sunday. Easter today. Made some eggs out of gelatine celery and glacier cherries. I'm not a big fan of Easter anyway. It always catches me unawares as I keep missing the moment when the second moon after the swing equinox has breached the gap between Pluto and Venus rising, or whenever it is meant to be. It's different every year, isn't it? I, I tell you what, I'm of quite an advanced age now, and I still can't tell you when Easter is. Monday. Bank holiday Monday, though I suppose every day is bank holiday Monday now, except with nobody driving up to the coast and sitting in their cars eating boiled eggs. I wish we had some eggs. Fred rebelled at being given celery bourbignon for dinner. Tuesday. Fred has asked centre-part in Martin to help him with Guns N' Roses. I'm going to go for another walk around the park in the rain. <sighs> now it's over to local actor Russell Nigels with his thought for the day. While we all go and have a sandwich. <laughs> Hello, Russell Nigel's here again. Work is a tad thin on the ground at the moment for various reasons, which I, I, I shan't go into. Um, so I've decided to construct in the corner of my bedsit this recording booth so that I can record voiceovers and the like. It seems to work rather well. I mean, you'd never guess it's chiefly built out of unsold copies of Kenny Branagh's 1990 autobiography, Beginning, which I rescued from a skip outside Blackwell's, um, and a brace of, um, of egg cartons. Um, organic, of course, I'm not an animal. <laughs> Although, ironically, of course, um, the hens from whence said eggs uh, came from um, are indeed animals. 
um, I digress, I digress. Um, uh, but it sounds um, rather professional, don't you think? I'm rather... So you shut up! Shut up! Bloody Australians! Oh, it's too good, it's like living next to a promenade version of Home and Away! Absolutely infuriating! I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Anyway, Celia has asked me if I'd like to contribute to um, a, a thought for the day to her podcast. A podcast is um, a rather more secular equivalent uh, of the sort of thing one hears on the wireless. Um, well, you're listening to it, you, you know. Um, and I, and, I, and I, I, said, I, said, I said I would be glad to do so. <laughs> so, here we go. Um, <coughs> Life, it seems to me, is rather like a play. We are each allotted our part. And often it is, uh, in fact, it's an insultingly small part, much like in Stratford in 1986 when Terry Hans offered me laities. I said to him, I said, I said, Tezza, you'd hardly offer Tony Shear a second murderer, would you? <laughs> and, and he was about to reply. Um, but uh, just then Charles Dance came in uh, with a big box of buns from the bakery and uh, we all lost interest, by myself um, included. And he is a, he he re, he's got a bugger of a sweet tooth as Charlie really has, um, so anyway, sorry losing my thread. Uh, concentrate, Russell. Right, where was I? Yes, yes, life, life is like a play, and we are all allotted apart, given our lines, and then observed by a director who sometimes seems negligent, if not entirely absent. Some of us forget our lines. Which reminds me of the time Robson Green completely blanked on his agut cheek and I had to improvise a striptease from Feste whilst he rushed off and mugged up on his Arden. <laughs> He's new to Rome Flynn, I can tell you that. We forget our lines. The props and scenery are shoddy. The audience sometimes may appear to be asleep or awake and volubly abusive. The technicians in charge of lights and sound are really drunk. There's a plane going overhead every 15 minutes and the sound of building works coming from next door. But by working together and helping each other, we get through it. We finish the play and at the end there is Applause. Maybe ragged applause, but by God, applause nonetheless. And then, when it's all over, you get a bad review from Michael Billington. Hello, Michael, if you're listening to this. Hope you're enjoying your retirement. I certainly am. Right. Now, if you'll excuse me, I have a Brazilian bongo vid to dub. Oh, shut up, please! If I wanted to hear this incessant racket, I'd go and park myself at the bar of the local walkabout! It's driving me insane! <laughs> <laughs> Now it's time for the part of the podcast where I talk to a very nice psychoanalyst, Dr Willoughby, who's just moved into Rosebush Lane around the corner. If you'll remember, I went a bit doolally over lockdown, 
though not as bad as Miriam Huxtable from number 23, who had a complete breakdown and started to believe that she was the entire cast and crew of the 1976 film The Outlaw Josie Wales. She's fine now, thank heavens. Anyway, let's get to my latest session with the Doctor, or James, as he insists I call him. He really does have the most caring face and very sensitive hands for a man. Anyway, here we go. So, Celia. Yes? Gosh, sorry, I'm just not used to you using my first name like that. Almost as if you were my husband, not a doctor. No, you're not, of course. My husband, I mean. You are a doctor. I know that because I can see your certificate right there on the wall. James Richard Willoughby, MD, Oxen, Psychiatric Mental Health Practitioner, is it? Sorry, I'm babbling. It's fine. Now... Last week we talked about your time at primary school. Miss Fotheringay's, that's right. So what happened when you left there? Well, I went straight to Quags, of course. Quags? The Queen's Academy Grammar School for Girls. Absolutely everyone went there, apart from Angela Funnell, who mucked up her 11-plus and ended up Munton Park Secondary Modern. If she hadn't ended up marrying the chap who invented LinkedIn, she'd be working Woolies by now. And I take it from the name that this wasn't a co-educational establishment. Heavens no, it was all girls, though we were twinned with Quabs, the boys' school on the other side of town by the refuse dump. The schools used to come together occasionally for sports day, dances and things like that. Ah, so this was the first time in your life that you came into contact with the opposite sex, boys your own age. Gosh, look at me, I'm blushing. Yes, I suppose I was. Though there were always chaperones, of course, and chalk lines drawn on the floor, making sure you stayed two feet apart. And did you have a boyfriend around this time? Yes, I did, as a matter of fact. I was twelve and he was thirteen. Ted was his name. Ted Penrose. He was the son of the local vicar. He was a keen ichthyologist. Every weekend we'd go down to the shore at Wenders Cove and look for fossils of sea creatures. I can see him now, standing there in the sunlight in his green-flecked sports jacket, explaining the life cycle of the lamprey. And how long did this relationship last? Uh, A couple of years, I suppose. He chucked me at the May Ball for Millicent Trowbridge, who had an Angora sweater and played the accordion. After that, I started stepping out with Ned. Ned? Ned Carstairs. He was a bit more of a bad boy from the wrong side of the tracks. His father was a barrister and he wore a blue fleck sports jacket, which was considered quite racy at the time. He was quite the ladies' man. Sometimes we'd hold hands if we thought no one was looking. And would you say this was a serious relationship? No, we were only young. And in any case, Ned made it quite clear that his actuarial studies would have to come first. He's in the civil service now, you know. I still see him occasionally round town. And after you left school? Well, I went to the local technical college. Mother and father thought I should learn a few important skills. Shorthand, touch typing, baccarat, that sort of thing. It was there that I met Ed. Ed? Ed Lark Pettigrew. He was studying aeronautical engineering. We were a couple for almost a year, but then he had an offer of an apprenticeship at Hong Kong Airport and he was off. He had a moustache and an Austin Healy, except he'd never take me out in it because he was afraid I'd ruin the upholstery. So Ted, Ned and Ed? Yes, that's right. All middle class, emotionally unavailable, resolutely unromantic Englishmen. I suppose so, yes. And then you eventually married a man called Fred. Well, yes. And your father's name was... Oh, I thought you knew. He was called Fred too. Oh dear, you're scribbling in your notebook again. You don't see a pattern emerging here? 
No, I don't, to be honest. Very well. Let's call it a day there, Celia. We'll meet again next week. Hello. Frederick Jesson here again with the third of my lockdown diaries. Well, as you can hear, I am keeping up with my fledgling attempts at mastering the uke, as our unsought guest Martin insists on calling it. Luckily, Celia managed to find another book of music, 25 tunes any child can play, while tidying the drawing room, so I've been able to bolster my 101 Britpop greats, and during the last week have been attempting both Smoke on the Water and Three Little Maids from School Are We. I think I'm doing well, though Celia doesn't seem overly impressed, and I'm sure I'm hearing the sound of slamming doors whenever I'm practising. I'm almost certain I heard someone shouting, Oh, keep it down, you pillock, yesterday while I was halfway through Slight Return by the Blue Tones, although it could have been the wireless. Radio 4, being such a byword for foul language these days, especially on the so-called drama of the week. In fact, I wrote to the Director-General only last Tuesday to complain about a play on the subject of inner-city life in the Americas, in which I was subjected to the phrases jerk, goddamn deadbeat and uh, jive-ass turkey. As yet, I've had no reply, but I shall keep you posted. Now, somewhat to my surprise, my scheme to keep myself sane with the uh, healing power of music seems to have had a modicum of success. Well, I'm certainly doing better than a number of my work colleagues. I've heard Paul Jenkinson is refusing to come out from the cupboard under the stairs, and Chris Tonk from Personnel apparently lost it during a Zoom call about outsourcing at our York office and began shouting about the Spanish Civil War while wrapping rubber bands around his head. He was on band number 165 and had turned quite purple by the time he was wrestled to the ground by Six and John's ambulance men. I myself, I am thankful to say, have not yet reached that state, though I feel I am sometimes perilously close when having to deal with my son, Will, as he styles himself. Yes, he is still locking down with us as we hurtle through Tier 27. I'm afraid Will and I are still not getting on. Part of this is a failure to communicate. I understand almost nothing that he says. In fact, I've noted down a list of his most baffling utterances. If any listener can enlighten me as to what any of these expressions mean, I would be most grateful. Peng. Yaz. Low-key. Big yikes. Flex. Pizzagate. Lit. Shook. Stan. Pogchamp. I mean, to an extent I sympathise... After all, I was young myself once, <laughs> difficult as that may be for you all to believe. As a teenager, I was an aficionado of the skiffle scene, and my own uh, slang utterances used to quite baffle my own poor late father. Hey, Daddy-o, I would say, coming in from the latest Tommy Steele movie or Joe Brown concert. Focus your audio and know your groceries, because hot stuff's happening, baby. He would look up uncomprehendingly from his model steam engine, and I would dismiss him as a hopeless square. 
Now, alas, I know exactly how he felt. The whirligig of time has, to a great extent, brought in its revenges. Well, I'd better get on, as I've promised myself I'll have learnt the chords to Mulder and Scully by Catatonia before sundown. Goodbye, and I shall be talking to you all again next week. You have been listening to Wife on Earth, written and performed by Joanna Neary and Joseph Nixon. The cast are Ben Crompton, Julia Cluffley Snedden, George Egg, John Griffin, Al Kerr, Paul McLean, Heather Minor, and Joanna Neary, with original music written and performed by Heather Minor and by Paul McLean. This was a Wife on Earth production for Cosmic Shambles Network. Thank you for listening. <laughs>